This morning's scripture reading will be Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, through chapter 53, verse 12. Isaiah 52, verse 13, through chapter 53, verse 12. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with rich and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for my transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Millie. What what version are you reading out of? I was curious. 
NIV. I like that. It was, it was really good. I usually use the, the ESV. I grew up using uh, NIV and King James, so sometimes I get confused as to which one I'm remembering out of, but um, yeah, that was, that was a sermon in itself, wasn't it? Uh, let's open in prayer as we get started today. Our Lord, it's you we behold, and we come each Sunday and throughout our weeks to, to honor. You've called us, you've redeemed us, you've pulled us into your family, none of which we deserve. But Lord, you, uh, the joy set before you, you endured for us. Give us a, just a glimpse of that today. And Lord, as we look to a new year, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful stewards of what you've given us, but also just to know you deeper in a way that we can't help but live out. Thank you for your word as it speaks to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you guys had a good Christmas. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I can't believe it was actually just this last Tuesday. Um, I, a lot of you guys were able to come to the Christmas Eve service, which was nice and a good just uh, celebration of this time of year. And I really enjoyed uh, leading up this year to Christmas, the, the messages on Advent um, from a variety of speakers that we have here, and um, really touched my heart. Today, um, in many ways, the message is kind of an epilogue to Christmas, uh, follow-up to those. Some of it's going to be recapping things that we've gone over in the past few weeks, or just even in this last year or two, uh, as we look to transition into a new year. Um, for the past couple years, if you guys have been here, you guys know our, our theme, it's on the front of your bulletin, is going deeper with God. And um, the reason we started off on that theme in the first place a couple years back as an elder board was we were looking at different things. Um, you know, the world is pretty tumultuous right now, as always, probably. Frankly, every, every generation probably says that, but every generation always thinks theirs is, is, is worse. I personally think the world has gotten a lot crazier um, and it will continue to do so until Christ returns. We know that. Um, but as we looked at that, in this crazy world we live in, and figuring out um, how do we equip this body at Oak Grove uh, for going forward into the future, for being um, anchored and, and ready and prepared, uh, going deeper with God was the theme that came out of that, of the idea of really an oak tree, since we're Oak Grove, needing to shoot down roots. Uh, be anchored not just in good doctrine or good um, principles or practices or liturgies, but in God himself. And that relationship with God being the anchor, the thing that will hold us through any storm that comes, be it trials or tribulations, sorrows or whatever. And that's how we started on this theme. After about a year, we really felt it took almost a year for everyone to really start catching on and kind of heard people talking about it a bit more. And we said, well, let's do it for another year. But as we came towards the end of this year, and we were looking at, well, where, what do we want to do for 2019 as far as kind of a direction? Where do we want to go? Um, the whole thing about going deeper with God is you can't really ever say, all right, we did that. We're done. We made it. Um, <laughs> as you guys know, like, we're going to be going deeper with God for eternity. We're never going to get to the bottom of that. Uh, I, I pray that everyone in this room has trusted Christ as their Savior. And as you do, those roots begin. They, they shoot down into your Creator, and they just go deeper and deeper and deeper for eternity, further into His character. And so we're not necessarily completing the theme, 
um, we, are, we are moving, we are adding to that. In many ways, I think uh, going deeper with God is going to be an ongoing mantra of this church of just that's something we are always striving and encouraging one another to do. So as we go forward, the theme that we're picking for this next year is something that I want to talk about today. And it really is more in addition to that. It's, it's looking at it from a different perspective of looking at um, uh, just a, kind of maybe another angle of it, more specific. And what we're going to be looking at is the title of today's message, which is Knowing and Serving Christ. Um, the more that we come to know him, the more that we are compelled to serve him. And it's not even just being compelled to serve him. It's, it's the fact that as we know him, sometimes we don't even realize that we are serving him. And that's kind of the theme of what we want to look at. And today, I would like us, we're going to do kind of a high-level overview um, through the book of Philippians and just look at Paul as he is really a man that modeled this. But um, before we do, I wanted to kind of come back to something, and really this is probably, uh, I think if I followed my, my Bible college training, I'm supposed to put like my big application point at the end of the, ser- of the sermon, but I, I don't like following rules, so... I'm going to start with the, the big application, and then uh, we're going to kind of follow it in behind. Because I think the application is we say it, set that foundation, and we put that framework down that what we're aiming for here. It's going, you're going to see that Paul was someone that really modeled this. So to start with, I, I want to go back to a verse that actually Weston focused on a couple weeks ago, um, and that's in Hebrews chapter 12. So if, you, if you'll turn over there to Hebrews 12. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And as you turn there, just some, some backstory, because um, I like kind of getting us into context here. We're looking at, uh, right before there is Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, as we call it. Um, it's a bunch of saints all throughout the Old Testament, uh, some of them named, some of them not, but believers that put their faith in God in a way that uh, they forsook this world. This world was to them, of little value compared to what they knew they were getting in God and as they looked at that heavenly. And so there's this this record of them that lived by faith and they walked by faith. And at the end of it, it talks about how really, um, uh, it talks about it's not quite perfect. And that's talking about this list isn't, isn't finished. There's a whole lot more to add to it. And I pray every one of us someday will be in the final list of those that, um, that are added to that. But the key to all of this, the reason that they were able to do it, and any of the saints in the New Testament that uh, were able to walk by faith and not by sight, comes down to the example that they were looking at. <clears throat> and we see that um, in, chap- in chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read, read through 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now seated at the right hand of God. The thing that I want us to focus on, and I know Weston touched on it too, I I told you this is going to be somewhat review but uh, um, is the fact that Christ went to the cross. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. 
And I want you to think about what was that joy? What was at the front of that? Some of you, if you're like me, I don't, I don't know why, but I've always had this, I don't like admitting the fact that Christ actually looked forward to me. But he did. I, I, I have a very low uh, opinion of myself. And, and I don't like, and I don't ever really want to raise it up. But when I look at the fact that Christ endured the cross because he was looking forward to having a relationship with me, it blows my mind. And maybe that's old news for most of you. Maybe you've gone through that revelry and you're, you're okay, yeah, I know that. Maybe you've even gone too far in your, because uh, it, it can turn into a, a self-centeredness if we're not careful. But I, I want you to really revel in that. That he endured the cross, not just out of drudgery or because he was supposed to or because the father told him and he was just dragging his feet or because, man, these kids got themselves in a mess, they can't get out, and now i got to go fix it. No, it was for joy. It was for joy that was set before him. And that was, that was relationship with us. The reason I wanted us to read Isaiah 53 to start was because you see there, it says the same thing. When he, in, in verse 10 and 11, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he would see his offspring. He would see and be satisfied. He knew that once he goes through that, as was prophesied, he would see the outcome. He would see his offspring. He would see that he would have a great reward, which would be us. And that is something that should be astounding to us. It is great news. It truly is. It is the Christmas news. Um, But it's not the end of it. And this is why it's kind of an epilogue to Christmas, as I said. Christ sets before us a similar proposal. And this is something that's been on my mind for, um, he's been hard on me for a few months. Um, Yes, in Christ we receive forgiveness. And we receive heaven. And we receive seeing loved ones again and eternal life and excitement. But it's not just those things. Christ sets before us something else, and that is himself. In the same way, he went through and endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, which was relationship with us. He, he turns it around and he places the same thing before us and sets himself before us. A lot of times, I don't know why, but when we think of heaven... We think of everything we get out of the deal. We think of uh, freedom from suffering. We seeing loved ones again. We think of um, no pain, no war. Maybe uh, if you're if you're uh, artistic and creative like me, I can't wait to get up to heaven and see what we're going to build. Um, it's exciting to think of you know what are we going to do for eternity. But if none of that was on the table, and the only thing you got out of heaven was Christ what would you think? Would you look forward to it with the same ambition? If you could have all those things, let me put it this way, if you could have everything else and Christ wasn't there, would you still go? And that is where we test our own heart, but that is what Christ puts before us. He puts himself and says truly to us, 
For the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. You were that joy. Will you not also, for the joy that is set before you, myself, endure the, your own cross? Christ sets himself as our ultimate reward. And he says, will you not also endure for the joy that I've set before you now? And that, that's pretty heavy. That's why I said we should put this at the end, probably. But I know this is, this is, this is a big thing. Um, we may have heavy crosses to bear. Many of us are bearing them already. Some of you, even just in this last year, have borne crosses of financial struggles, marital struggles, unending uh, familial tension or strain, unceasing physical pain and suffering, or illness and infirmity. And we've lost husbands, mothers, grandmothers, wives, sons, brothers this year. All who have trusted Christ, and we're going to see them again. Those are not easy crosses to bear. But God calls us to. But it's not just out of drudgery. He says, will you not, for the joy that's set before you, you're going to get to spend eternity with Christ. You're going to get to know him, to go deeper with him for eternity. And that, that joy is worth it all. So this is why Christ calls us to endure there was a man in scripture that models this, Paul. And the reason I wanted to start with that is because I, I think Paul will be probably the first name added to the Hall of Fame once we, <laughs> once we get into eternity. And uh, he definitely modeled this, of setting Christ as the joy that's before him and lived it out. So turn over to Philippians with me, because we're just going to do kind of a quick... Uh, 10,000 foot skirt through the book. We're going to jump actually all over the place through it. We're not going to go in, in a logical progression through it necessarily. But I want to just pick out some high points out of Paul's life that we see here as our example um, as he did this. First off, we're going to look in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. In chapter, uh, right here, he's talking about how he had every reason to find joy in other places. He was the cream of the crop as far as an Israelite goes. He says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's actually a pretty big deal. I mean, we read some of those things and be like, why are you boasting about those things? But if you were a Hebrew and you saw Jesus as, as a rebel and all his followers as being rebels, you would see that if you're in the temple and, and in Paul's position, to persecute the church was a good thing. Like, you, man, that guy is zealous. He was commended by his brethren. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I don't know how many guys even back then could say, as to the law, blameless. Have you ever thought about that? Like, he kept the entire law, at least outwardly. I mean, Jesus talked about the heart and how inwardly we got an issue. But if you could be saved by the law, it would have been Paul. He kept it all. He's a pretty good guy. He's, he's, he was the cream of the crop, as I said, from a Jewish perspective. But what does he say in verse 7, as we know? Whatever gain I had, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We're going to come back to verse 8 a little bit later, but I want you to see he counted all those things. Everything back then, this probably, he would have had pride, power, prominence, respect, probably even wealth, um, even, even as Israel was under oppression um, by Romans. You know, he would have been, as far as that goes, he would have had it all. And he counted it all as loss compared to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. If you look over at chapter 1, verse 21, these two things link together. And I, I think someone already made these connections in the past couple weeks. So again, this is review. I think Steve may have been talking about this. I can't remember. But um, verse 21 of chapter 1 really complements what we just read. And that's, he says really what was his life statement, his mantra, what he lived by. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living was good because he experienced Christ living through him. You guys know Galatians 2.20? It says, for me to live is Christ, to die is... Oh, sorry, not that one. That's here. Um, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That was why living was okay for him, is because as long as I'm alive, I'm not really alive anyway. I've been crucified with Christ. He's living through me. I get to see that lived out. To die is only better. I get to go do that without the burden of a, a sin nature and a body. But here we see this is, this is how his whole life was patterned. If everything else was worthless compared to knowing Christ, then this is how he lived his life. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Can we say this in the same way? I've, I've been asking myself that question. As long as I'm alive, can I really say with the same confidence that Paul did? For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I'm honest, a lot of times it's for me to live is Derek most of the time. And then, and then when I wake up, I realize I, I, need to, I need to crucify. And it's usually this battle of like letting him live sometimes. And if I'm good, I can kind of let him live through me about 50% of the day. But it's not just this clean cut. For Paul, it was just really simple. As long as I'm alive, it's Christ living through me. If you see good works in me, it's Christ living through me. And everything, like, I don't really care what else I have. It's all lost compared to that. And it all comes through this relationship I have. People like to quote Philippians 4.13 as a, as a common verse, I know. Um, but it's in this context that I can do everything through Christ living through me. I can, if you read chapter 4, he, he talks about suffering and going through suffering. It's not talking about shooting more three-pointers and scoring more baskets and being the top of of your game and your job. No, it's saying you can go through anything in life because Christ is living through you. Now, Paul knew that he would have a lot of suffering in his life. He had already gone through a lot of suffering since coming to Christ, and he knew that probably even all the way to the end of his life, he would. Um, and the Philippians were in the same boat. Many of the early Christians, as you guys know, when they started off, were in the same kind of camp. They're it wasn't very popular to be a Christian. It wasn't as easy as it is here in America. And in many places around the world today, we know it's not that popular to be a Christian. So he writes to them in verse 29, It's been granted 
to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Again, that context, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. I can go through suffering. Why is that? It's because of the joy set before him. He saw Christ as in the same way that Christ saw us. For the joy set before me, I'll endure my cross. And Paul said, okay, if you did that, I can do it too. For Christ that is set before me, I'll endure anything. And he did. And he encourages the Philippians to do the same. So we come in the book of Philippians, at least in his progression here, we come to one of the most common passages that's quoted. We even quoted it during Christmas this year, and rightfully so. And that's in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. But it's in this context of looking at Christ as our example, knowing him and, and serving him. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance and with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. All these sames that we see when we come to the verse 2 of chapter 2, same, um, the same joy, the same mind, the same love, having one mind, they're not just talking about having similar opinions or convictions or beliefs or political stances. Um, if that's the only reason you come to church is because you're around people that believe the same and think the same and vote the same as you, then you're going to be missing out, quite frankly. That's not what he's talking about here. We, we can fall into that trap, and we don't have any depth or anything rooted in Christ itself. It, it's just rooted in each other. We have to always be on guard against that. But the, what he's talking about, when he talks about having the same mind, the same love, it's talking about having the mind of Christ. That's verse 5 for you right here. Have this mind among you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You're supposed to have the same mind that Christ did. How are you going to do that? How are you going to have Christ's mind? You have to know him very intimately. You have to get to know him in such a way that he lives out through you and he is working his way and living out just like Paul did. He can say, as long as I'm alive, it's actually Christ living through me. We don't serve Christ out of religious obligation or because we have some duty to repay him. We serve him for the joy that's before us. And we seek the mind of Christ, not because we're supposed to, not because you read it in here, or because Derek tells you from the pulpit, this week, this year, you need to strive to have the mind of Christ. And you go out and say, okay, that's my resolution. No, that's, that's, that's missing it. You do it because you get to. We get to have the mind of Christ. He gives us his spirit who comes inside that reworks us, and as long as we submit to him, he just comes in and he gives us his very mind, his desires, and lives and works and speaks through us. And yeah, sometimes suffering comes. In fact, if I read Christ's words, it looks like it's pretty much destined to come for all of us in some way or another. It's part of this life, and it's especially part of the Christian's life. But when I read Paul's writings, I just can't get the feeling like suffering was almost like, yeah, oh well, Christ went through it, I can do it. 
He was looking to Christ as his reward, and he was able to, to strive through. I know he went through incredible pain and suffering, but he was able to do it for the joy set before him, and we can too. As we look at the, the example of Christ, we see Paul, we're looking at him today, but really Paul was following Christ himself. He was looking at his example, which was Christ, and, and he continues to talk about him here in verse 6, as we are familiar with these verses, I know. But verse 6 says, Who, Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. See, Paul was following Christ. Christ is his example. But Christ, as you watch his life, and he was very careful in the way he talked, that though he was God, he was giving us an example of how a human should live. And he was always talking about, I am in submission to the Father's will. I am in submission to the Father. Not my will, but his be done. All the way to the cross. When Christ came to earth, he knew very well Isaiah 53. Of course he did. He helped write it. So he knows that it's the will of the Father to crush him. He knows what's coming. And yet, he still says, I'm in submission to the Father's will. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53 is not a happy verse. It's hard for us to read that the Father, it would be his good will to crush his son. And yet it was. (coughs) Excuse me. I wonder if the Lord had responded in the way that many of us do when suffering comes, where we would be. If he had said, how can it be your will to crush me? That's not a good father. That's not love. That's child abuse. A loving father would never ask me to go to the cross. Where would we be today? And yet, a lot of times, that's the logic that we employ when suffering comes. How can you love me and allow this to come? For the joy set before him, he endured. And for the joy set before you, you endure. We endure. When we look back at Paul, who is looking at Christ as his example, and we go over to chapter 2, kind of fast forward a little bit to verses 17 and 18, you see... He was willing to follow in the exact footsteps of Christ. He says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. He was willing to essentially go to the cross. Paul didn't die on a cross. He died at the hands of Nero. But he was willing to go through anything because his Lord, his Master, his example had done the same. Now, we won't read all of them, but verses 19 through 30, Paul talks about a couple examples. Timothy and Epaphroditus, a couple other guys who had caught this, that realized for the joy set before them, they were willing to go through anything. Epaphroditus had almost died, it says, um, in his service, and Timothy was anxious of heart. This letter actually was um, written by Paul and Timothy, so many of the things that are written Um, could very well be referring to Timothy as well. But these were two other guys. They were disciples of Paul who were following Paul as Paul followed Christ, as Christ submitted to the Father. And there's, there's this chain, this example that we see. And that is a good thing to have. 
Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit in a second here. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that it's okay to find and follow an example. Actually, we could jump ahead. If you look over at chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That wasn't an arrogant statement or a prideful thing of, I've arrived, I'm great. We'll read in a second here, but right before that, he actually says the opposite. I've definitely not arrived. I haven't totally figured this out. But he was okay to say, follow my example. I've laid down everything. I'm following Christ, and you should too. And I think Timothy and Epaphroditus were great examples of that. We come back to where we started in in Philippians here. If you go back up, I know I jumped ahead to 17, but if you go back to chapter 3, verse 8, we come back and look at this phrase that we had already read, but I want to read a little further as we look at Paul. As he forsook all earthly confidence, his fame, possessions, for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. As we already said, Paul fully intended to follow Christ all the way to death. He saw that Christ went all the way to cross to death, and he saw what came after that, resurrection. So Paul just fully assumed, as I follow Christ to death, I'll follow him in resurrection. And he was looking forward to that. But knowing Christ was the thing that was greater, of greater value than anything else. <coughs> it wasn't just being having eternal rewards. He wasn't saying, I count everything a loss compared to the jewels I'll get on my crown someday or compared to the, the, the fame that I'll have in heaven. No, it was knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. If you look at verse 12 through 14, verses 12 through 14, it hits on what I had already mentioned. This is what happens when I get ahead of my notes, but it's all right. I will just follow Philippians. You should just read the book. It's a sermon in itself. Uh, verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made me his own. I want to pause there and just come back to what I said at the beginning. For the joy that was set before him, he endured his cross, to make you his own. And this is why Paul, he caught that. And this is why he's striving. He says, I press on to make it my own, this, this life where truly everything is forsaken and I'm following him because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had an ongoing process of forgetting what was behind and pressing on, learning from mistakes, which is something we all have to do. But he was onward pressing until the end of his life. We already talked about the fact that 
sometimes there's examples that we need to have in our life. Paul was looking directly at Christ, was imitating his life. For some of you, and for, I'll, I'll put myself in there too, there's times when looking at Christ as my example, I know I'm supposed to, but it just kind of feels like, it's not fair, he was God. <laughs> of, course he, of course he was sinless, of course he always submitted to the Father. Like, that's just impossible. And if I'm honest with you, a lot of times that lends towards an excuse to sin. But you look at someone like Paul, and now you don't got an excuse. Because you see an example of someone who, he's got a sin nature still. Read Romans 7. You'll see the struggles there. But he kept pressing on. He kept learning. He kept growing. He kept moving forward and pressing on and pressing on. And if he could do it, guys, you could too. He had quite a past behind him. We talk about some dark skeletons in the closet that haunted him, and yet he was able to leave those things behind and press onward towards God. And if he could do it, we can as well. Maybe Paul's still too hard of an example to follow. Okay, look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. Look at Hudson Taylor, Oswald Chambers, Jonathan Edwards. Find someone that has figured this out. God is okay with that. He is, he is, it's part of the whole thing. This is how the church has endured it. Is he sets people up to be examples that we can follow, where you can see someone who their love for Christ has compelled them to serve, has, has pushed out every other desire in their heart until you say, man, they really, they're just about knowing Christ. And it impacts everything they do. Find someone like that and follow them. The other side of that coin, if you've been a believer for many years, you're not new to the faith, talking to you, be an example. Stop looking for one. It's time to be one. And I really think this is his exhortation in verse 15, as gentle as he puts it. It's his version of saying, grow up. Verse 15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So, if you've been a believer for a while, it may be time that you need to demonstrate what a life submitted to Christ looks like. That might seem obvious, but I think we can go through life and we can just kind of keep putting it off. Well, next year. I didn't make my resolutions this year. Next year I will. I just got stuff to do this year. No, the time is now. The reason? There are younger people. There are, there are Timothys and Epaphroditus waiting to follow you. They are looking at this scripture. They're looking and saying, I don't get it. I don't understand how my life... You talk about knowing Christ, but I don't see that in you. And I don't see how I connect it. They need an example. And that's where there's a calling where we need to see people that will stand up and lead and show this is what a life that loves Christ above everything else looks like. That's regardless of age. If you know Christ, if you've tasted of him, if you have any comfort and love, any participation in his spirit, it's time. It's time to be mature. There's one more thing I want to say before we close today. 
and it's nothing new. It's what I've been saying the whole, whole day, but I just, I'm hammering it on you guys because I need to hammer it into my own head. We can so quickly fall into serving Christ because we're supposed to, out of obligation. Out of it's, it's something that I'm commanded to do, and I want to just hammer over and over. It is for the joy set before you. You pursue Christ because he is the reward. He is what we get out of the deal. It's not a duty. It's not drudgery. It's for joy. So as you look at, uh, at 2019, and I don't know if you guys are into New, New Year's resolutions or not, I'd say forget the resolution, make it a December 30th resolution. Um, whatever, it's too close to New Year's. Seek to know him. We're going to talk about it as we go through different, you know, here at Oak Grove, different ones of us speak, and we come at things from different angles, and um, we share the teaching here from the Word. But we're going to be looking from different perspectives at what it means to know and serve Christ. Not just serving Christ. Serving Christ without knowing him ends pretty ugly. But knowing him and seeing what comes from that relationship. So let's pray, let's strive towards that this year. Father, uh, I thank you just for your son. I thank you. Thank you for, yes, the example that he was. And I thank you for those that we have in the scriptures and in our lives that we can follow and we can see. I pray you'd make everyone in this room an example for the sake of our children, for our grandchildren, for our community, for those around us, that they would see lives that love Christ so much that he is living through them. That we could say truly living is Christ and dying is gain. I thank you for your servant Paul. I know he's there with you now, rejoicing. And Lord, we look forward to meeting you more than anything else as he finally got to do. In your name we pray.